Hello everyone. Thank you for uh, watching this message and listening to this message. Is judging a sin? Nothing seems to get people more angry than you are judging me. A person that says you are judging me is a person with a guilty conscience. And they are in fact judging you. You can't tell somebody that they're judging you without you judging them. It's just a fact. Their anger at you is a judgment against you. Their conclusion that you are judging them is a judgment. I asked Jesus to save me when I was eight years old. So since I, so since I was a young kid, since I was a child, people have always accused me of judging them. This includes my parents, my own family. I did not even have to say a word to get the accusation. My parents drank wine, and they would want me to drink a toast with them. I was not even a teenager at that time. I said no, I would not. I didn't want to drink with them. This got them red this got them red-faced angry at me. They tried to force me to drink. I refused. I quickly became an outcast in my family because I refused to drink with them. They said, there is nothing wrong with you drinking a toast with us. We would not ask you to do anything wrong. And they wanted, and they said, stop your high and mighty attitude. It is not your place to judge us. And I got smacked around for not drinking sent to my room because I wouldn't participate in their drinking. I never said one single word in judgment of them. What I said was, I said I did not want to drink. My reason, and I believe I was at 10 years old at this time, my reason at 10 not to drink was because my Uncle John, he was a drunk. And he always beat me. My Uncle John was very cruel and mean to me. He hurt me every time he could. I did not like how I didn't like how mean my Uncle John was to me. And because he was always drunk, I felt the reason he was so mean to me was because he was a nasty, mean drunk. So I did not want to drink because of my Uncle John and how drinking affected him. My desire not to drink was not based from anything that I had read from the Bible. I would never allow a person to pressure me into doing anything I did not want to do from as far back as I can remember. My not drinking has always given me the same response from people. People have always told me because in social situations, as adults, <laughs> in social situations, people socialize in our society by drinking. They socialize when they when they have dinner. They have wine with dinner. Many people, many people will invite you over to watch television or just invite you over, and they'll say, "Here, here, have a beer." And if you don't accept their drink, 
they take it as a personal insult and then they turn around and say, stop judging me. Stop judging us. They get very upset because I don't want to participate. I don't want to drink. And so the obvious conclusion they have is, oh, so you don't drink. So you're acute saying that my drinking is wrong. So you are judging me. And so I have received tons of uh, pressure to drink, tons of pressure in my life to drink. I've even been beaten up because I refuse to drink. Like I said, to be accused by people of judging them, you don't even have to say one word. You don't have to say a word against anyone to have them accuse you of judging them. Just do not participate in things that they are doing and they will say, stop judging me, stop judging me. Just refuse to engage in behavior they are doing and you will be instantly accused of judging them. They will get angry at you and try to force you to do what they are doing. They might be smoking, doing drugs, drinking. And it could be that you were invited to be that second guy. Have you ever heard of a, a wingman? Have you ever heard, have, do you know that in society, a person might invite you to go with them somewhere so that you are, so that they're not alone. So they're looking to go out to go out somewhere. Maybe they know this person, this man or this woman, but they don't want to go alone because it's a social setting. And so they're like, invite you to go. And so they want you to basically uh, go with this other person's best friend and say, so, hey, let us four go out, you know, to have drinks or let us four go to dinner together. So it's easier for a person to engage in an initial date with somebody when it's a four people going and just not two people. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who they want to get to know a person in a group setting first. And many times at the end of that evening, sex is going to be involved. You know, and a lot of times, if it's not after the first encounter, it's definitely after the third because people, there's this unwritten role in society that's been around for a long time that if you're not having sex by the third date, then that person isn't the right person for you. And so many times you will be asked to be this person who is, uh, your reason for being there is to to be the, the, the fourth person in a foursome so, so they can feel, so people can feel comfortable about socializing together and then many, many times when the your friend and this other person is hooking up having sex that person that you're with say well you know it's a good it's a, if it's good for them you know let's us do it as well and then you're like no you know I, you know I, I don't that isn't what I do uh, I was here 
I was here for my friend because he wanted to get it to know your, you know, it's just this whole situation and it just goes sour really quickly when you refuse to engage in the sex or you infuse, you refuse to do things that you feel compromises you. And so, like I said, you don't have to accuse anybody of anything, but just your lack of participating in what they're doing really gets people angry at you and gets them to say that you are judging them. Well, they they are being judged because your abstinence from doing what they're doing it's, it hits their conscience. Their conscience is telling them what they're doing is wrong, but to do the, all these wrong things, people have to go against their conscience. And so when you are that conscience in the room, it annoys people, it angers people, and they say, stop judging me, stop judging us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. See, Paul is saying that his speech was heavenly speech. He wasn't speaking the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered in to the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man? For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth, receiveth not the Spirit, I'm sorry, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither 
can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, this is the key. Unsaved mankind and saved people who have turned their back on God and, and are not living for God. See, it's right there. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So that is why you don't have to say one word in judgment to anybody. Just your presence and people knowing your positions on things from knowing you. Just your presence when people are drinking, smoking, having sex, just doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Your presence alone would be this because Jesus in you, the spirit of God within you is condemning their actions. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the Bible is saying that to really understand the spirit of God, you need to be saved. To understand the Spirit of God. To understand God's Word. You need to be saved. It's foolishness unto them. Because they don't understand the Spirit of God. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? That he may instruct him. But we have the mind of God. Christ. He that is spiritual judgeth all things. So what does God tell us to do? Judge all things. This judgment is to be spiritual, not from our flesh. This judgment is spiritual, not man. It is not man's wisdom. It is not man's judgment. It is God's judgment. It is spiritual judgment. See, We have the mind of Christ. So when we judge, we are to judge according to God's word, using the mind of Christ that is in us. One passage that people use is in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. They destroy the meaning of the passage to, to say it means you are not to judge anyone. So let's look at this passage. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commandeth us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down. And wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. 
When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So let's look at that. What did Jesus say to her? And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So Jesus did not ever approve of her behavior. Jesus didn't approve of her behavior. He did not approve of her sin. So when you look at this verse, when people say that this passage, when they say this passage is saying, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. No, the passage isn't saying that. Jesus himself is telling the woman to go and sin no more. So he is he, he's condemning her. He's condemning what she did, but he is not passing judgment on her. And and I'm going to go in to that why he didn't pass judgment on her. But he did not say, "Oh, ignore I'm going to ignore your sin and and just go ahead and leave." You know, there's no condemnation for your sin. Your sin was fine. It was okay. Jesus did not approve of her sin. Jesus didn't say that her actions were okay. So when people use this passage and say, Oh, don't cast stones at me. Don't cast stones at me. Don't cast stones at me. Because first off, they have a guilty conscience if they're saying that. And secondly, you're not casting stones at them. This was a literal situation where a woman was going to be sown to death. Okay? So they're totally taking everything of this passage out of context because certainly I've never known anyone who was literally going to take stones and stone somebody to death for anything that they've done. So this is a literal passage that actually happened. And so you can't spiritualize it and turn around and say casting of, of stones is a spiritual thing. No, this was a, an actual event. And this was uh, the, the Jewish law to stone people. The first clue you should, the first clue that should jump out at you is the fact the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones who brought the woman to Jesus. The only time the scribes and the Pharisees talked with Jesus was to tempt him. The scribes and Pharisees only talked with Jesus in order to tempt him and to try to catch him making an error in the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets it, prophets is the Bible. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were always up to no good. Verse 4, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So they caught the woman having sex with a married man. So the first thing you, that you should ask is, where is the man? She was caught in the very act. She was having sex with a man. So why did they just take her and not the, her and the man? So you can see automatically that this situation being brought to Jesus was not according to the law. 
if they had brought the man and the woman, both of them together, Jesus would have told them, why bring them to me? You know what the law says to do. Jesus never would have told them to break the law. The law said that the man and the woman were both to be stoned. So when they accused the woman and the woman only and let the man go, when they let the man go free, they had, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had broken the law because the law said the man and the woman were both to be stoned. They wanted Jesus to make an error in the law. What Jesus did when he wrote on the ground, he showed each of them who had accused the woman that they were hypocrites. Maybe when Jesus wrote on the ground, he said, hypocrite, where is the man? Most pastors, most pastors, most Bible teachers, they say Jesus wrote to each of them a secret sin they were guilty of. Many also think these men were all guilty of adultery too. The same sin the woman was accused of. So many people think that they weren't just hypocrites. They were hypocrites in this very sin of adultery. They were accusing the woman while letting the man go free, which is, which is being a hypocrite. But, but many think that they were guilty of adultery as well. So, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. People love this verse. Songs have been made with this verse. Don't cast stones is a well-known saying. Jesus was calling out their hypocrisy. They were asking for a false judgment. Just bringing the woman without bringing the man to was a crime against the law. So what Jesus is saying, don't judge another person when you are wrong. So Jesus is saying, don't judge another person if you're guilty of the same sin because you are being a, a hypocrite. It's like you're going out drinking and you're going to a, a strip club with somebody or something like that. It's, it's a common occurrence. And you go home to your wife and you don't get caught. But your friend's wife catches him. And so your wife is like telling you about it. And then you come together in a social situation and your friend is really upset at you. But he doesn't want to out you and say, well, you know, you were he was there, too. But he feels upset at you because because you are with your wife judging him. And that is hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy because you're guilty of the same crime in this situation. I'm saying this is a common occurrence. It really is because you don't want to get caught. So you're just standing there with your wife, shaking your head at him and saying you don't have the courage to say, say, well, I'm guilty, too. I'm just as guilty as, as, as this guy here is. I, I did the same thing. I, we were, in fact, at the strip club at the same night. I was just smart enough to take a shower and get all that glitter stuff off of me before I went to bed. And I, I didn't use I use cash. I didn't use my credit card. He used his credit card. He used the ATM machine there. His wife figured out where the money came from. So. This is common people 
who are guilty of the same sin stand in judgment of another person. And Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. Don't do that. You can't judge another person for the sin of adultery when you're you're having adultery too. Jesus is saying that's hypocritical. And understand, Jesus, he did not say, do not judge. He said, what Jesus said is, he said, he that is without sin. Jesus knows that everyone sins and is a sinner. So he did not mean that they had to be sinless to judge her. Jesus didn't say, well, the only person that could judge this woman is a person that never committed any sins ever. Jesus recognized the law and obeyed the law. He knew the temple priests had to enforce the law. He knew they were sinners. It has nothing to do with a person. It has What Jesus was talking about has nothing to do with a person saying that a person cannot judge another person because they are a sinner too. He is talking about hypocrites, persons that are standing in judgment who are committing the same sin. He's or in that that situation, he's talking because that situation that was brought to him. These guys are hypocrites because the judgment was was incorrect because only the woman was brought to be judged. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to judge somebody, you need to judge the whole situation and not make a partial judgment because you're a hypocrite. You can't just call one person out for sin when two people were sinning together. So if you're just holding one person accountable for the sin and you're letting the other one go, you're being a hypocrite. And that is what Jesus is saying. So if you're going to judge, you need to make proper judgment. And you absolutely should not be involved in the same sin that you're condemning somebody else of. You need to get yourself right. People... Uh, who are who are actually confronting somebody about a sin? They better not be guilty of the same sin because they're really being hypocritical. They need to get themselves right, get themselves figured out before. Because you're you're not helping somebody. If you're somebody that is a drug addict and you're currently a drug addict, you're not any help to somebody who is a drug addict too. And you're telling them, hey, you, you got to stop doing drugs, you know, it's going to kill you. You know, it's destroying your life. They're going to look at you like, yeah, so (laughs) you're doing the same thing. So you're not any help to that person when when you're doing that. You need to get yourself cleaned up and in a position where you can help them. This woman was wrongly, she was wrongly judged. This woman was brought to Jesus outside of the law because the law said, Whoever is caught in, in, in adultery, the man and the woman, they're both to be stoned. So this woman was wrongly judged. Judged because she was not. She was wrongly being judged because she was not the only one at fault. The man was also at fault. The man she was having sex with was at fault too. They were both committing adultery together. So this woman was being singled out wrongfully. So it is wrong to single somebody out and start judging that person and giving them a hard time about what they're doing 
that's wrong. If you're going to deal with the situation, and if you're a pastor or if you're a person in authority over people, such as a, a boss, a supervisor, a, you own a business, you're going to lose. And this happens all the time at work and in work situations where uh, people are hypocrites, but, uh, supervisors are hypocrites. They'll say, you know, don't sexually harass anybody, which is wrong. No one is supposed to do that. But they will be a sexual harasser and it will really irk people. It'll, it causes lawsuits because uh, sexual harassment is a crime. It's against the law. And so, but the hypocrisy, if things aren't de dealt with correctly, lawsuits will happen because if you are the supervisor and you're responsible for making sure no sexual har harassment is taking place, but, but then you're har sexually harassing people, well, that's hypocritical. And you can't judge rightly of one person being a sexual harasser if you're a sexual harasser as well. It's just hypocritical. And if it's taken to a court and it's properly handled, you will be in serious trouble and possibly lose your, your job and possibly uh, and lose your business, lose your job, lose your family. There's consequences for actions. Jesus is saying, don't be a hypocrite. He never said the woman was innocent. Jesus, Jesus did not say it was wrong to judge her. In fact, he said he would not judge her, not that she should not be judged. When he told her to sin no more, he's telling her she is guilty. Stop this sin. So people who use this verse, this passage to say we are not to judge anyone, they are just plain ignorant. They do not understand the passage. Every single day, people are telling people not to do this, not to do that. But they are doing the same exact thing. You can't very well tell someone to stop smoking if you smoke too. The person you are talking to is just going to laugh in your face. Jesus wants us to not sin. Jesus doesn't want us to sin. So Jesus wants us to live pure lives according to the Bible. He knows if we are living in sin... We cannot be an effective witness. He wants us to share the truth of his holy word, but he doesn't want us to be hypocrites while we do it. For the lost and for many Christians, I say Christians with with quotation mark Christians because they are not a Christian. Because they are not a Christian and many are not even saved. So. What I'm saying is there are many people who are saved, but they're not behaving as a Christian. And there's also many people that are just plain lost and claim to be Christians that will use that verse. Don't don't cast stones at me. Don't judge me. They'll throw that verse out there, not understanding the true meaning of the verse. They'll just say it. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. They'll say that because they're convicted of their sin and they're upset at you for either being that good example of somebody that isn't in adultery that isn't a drinker they just lash out at you because their life is crumbling around them because of their bad behavior and they just lash out at you 
without even saying anything to them because they hate you, because they hate that you do not participate in their sin. And there will be many times where you're being a friend and you're telling somebody that you care about, hey, you know, Joe, if you love your wife, you won't cheat on her. Stop it. And then when they get caught, they're all upset at you. They're saying, you're judging me, you're judging me, you're judging me, you're judging me. You're not helping me out. You're just judging me. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5. And this is one of their go-to verses on telling people the Bible says not to judge. Many so-called Christians and the lost will go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 and say, See, the Bible says not to judge. Well, again, they are wrong. They misinterpret the meaning of the passage. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. This passage is not telling you not to judge. It is saying, if you don't want to be judged, then do not judge. Again, it is telling people to not be a hypocrite. Verse 5 is telling us to get our life in order so we can help out our brother. Jesus wants us to, Jesus wants us to be able to clearly see so we can cast the mote out of our brother's eye. If we're just caught up in the same sin as our brother, we're just being a hypocrite, telling our brother to stop his sin to stop the sin because we're involved in the same sin it just doesn't give any credibility to what you're saying if you're caught up in the same sin as somebody else they're not going to listen to you when you're telling them to stop what they're doing people we we need to get the bible right get the passage right live your life according to the bible if you are to judge someone do not be a hypocrite Make sure you are making a correct judgment. The only purpose in judging someone is so you can help them. Don't be arrogant and start pointing fingers at people and telling them all of their sins. This is what Matthew chapter 7 is talking about. Jesus wants you to understand that when you start pointing your finger at someone and, and you start telling them everything they are doing wrong, that you will be judged also by the same measure you are using to judge them. You shouldn't judge someone if your intent is just to criticize them. If you judge someone, you need to be doing it with love and with the desire to help them, not to hurt them, not to act all holier than thou. Let's look at John chapter 7, verses 19 through 25. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? 
The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? Look at verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus is clearly saying to make righteous judgment. Don't judge on the appearance only. You need to look at the whole circumstances. And that's what people fail to do. In this passage, the Jewish religious leaders were looking to kill Jesus. They rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus as God and wanted to kill him. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day, so they wanted to kill him. Jesus is God. Jesus is God of the Sabbath. So when he healed on the Sabbath, he was not breaking any law. Jesus is telling us to judge using common sense. He tells us not to judge by appearance, but to judge righteous judgment. For example, if someone runs out into the street to save a toddler who is running around in traffic, don't accuse that person of jaywalking. Don't accuse them of a crime of running into the street. Because the reason a person jaywalked or whatever crime could be, you could be accused of for running out into the street, don't accuse them of a crime. Don't accuse them of jaywalking. Use common sense and say, oh, that guy is trying to save that toddler who's running around helpless in the street who could be run over and killed by a car that didn't notice the child. We're to judge using God's words. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. God wants us to obey his word, the Bible. Not only does he want us to obey his words, he wants us to teach his word. If you say something is wrong because it goes against what the Bible teaches, then you are right. We need to point out what is wrong in our society such as drag queens teaching young kids. If we don't stand up and say, no, don't do that, that is wrong, then we are just letting evil run rampant. Yes, there are people saying that you have no right to judge uh, drag queens who are teaching children, that you have no right to assume that they're perverts because of their behavior, because of their lifestyle. People say, don't judge. But the Bible tells us 
that we need to teach God's word. We need to live God's word. We need to live our lives according to God's word. If you allow society to become just a bunch of perverts and and a bunch of perverts who are who are controlling the schools if you continue to allow that your children are going to grow up to be perverts too you're going to lose your children because you're allowing the teachings of of evil people you're allowing evil people to teach your kids evil things and and you're going to possibly have your your kids become homosexuals become gay because you don't teach them that homosexuality is wrong because the Bible clearly says homosexuality is wrong. So if you don't teach your kids right from wrong, if you don't teach your kids to judge what is right and to judge what is wrong, you're going to lose your kids to hell. If we don't judge according to the Bible, we will see the total ruin of the United States. The left are hypocrites. They push homosexuality, child sex changes. They push everything that is evil. This is clearly Satanism. They push their false religion while they say we have to keep Jesus and the Bible out of our schools. We must stand up for the Bible and teach it and preach it. Not just in the church, but in our conversation. It is insane how people... It is insane how some people can go on and on and on about sports for hours nonstop or any subject nonstop. People will go on about their favorite topics and subjects nonstop. But if you try to have a Christian conversation, you will often be immediately shut down. The first thing usually said is, I will not have you judging me. For the lost, to have a Christian conversation, for the lost, if you have a Christian conversation, if you have a Christian testimony, if you have a Christian testimony, if you are behaving as a Christian, for the lost, to have a Christian conversation means that you are judging them. In fact, they are right on this, except the judgment comes from God, not from you, not from man. If you are sharing the gospel with someone, God is judging them, not you. God is judging them as a sinner because a person cannot be saved until they realize they are a sinner. So as long as Christians allow sin to be normal and sin is not sinful, people will not get saved. Because until a person realizes that they are a sinner and that their behavior is sinful and that their behavior is why Jesus died on the cross... Until people realize they are a sinner, they will never, ever be saved. To be saved, you have to come to Jesus as a sinner. You have to be a guilty sinner before Jesus in order to be saved. When a person asks to be saved, what are they saying? What are they asking? They're saying, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and save me. I believe, Jesus, that you are God. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again the third day to save me from my sins. Please save me, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You can never pray that prayer. Nobody can pray that prayer unless they're a convicted sinner. So you're not doing anybody any good if you are ignoring 
sin. If you're making sin good, if you just ignore all sin, if you just ignore sin, then you're not doing God's will. John chapter 12, verses 46 through 48. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Let's read this again. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. God's word is what we will all be judged by. So when you make any judgment at all, it needs to be according to God's word. If you judge a person on what you think or using the wisdom of this world, then you are just plain wrong. The only judgment in all of the universe is found in God's word. We are judged by God's word. So if you judge, use God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. The word abhor, abhor means to regard with disgust and hatred. So we must hate sin. We must hate that which is evil. How can we do, how can we abhor anything if we don't first judge it? How can we how can we know what is good? How can we know what is evil if we do not judge? If we don't make a judgment about what is good, if we do not, not make a judgment about what is evil, then we have no discernment. We can't obey Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. We're supposed to desire that which is good and we're supposed to reject that which is evil. So we must make judgments about what is right and what is wrong so that we can live according to God's commands. We are called to share the gospel. Look at Mark sixteen fifteen, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 through 8. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So what is God saying? He's telling you to warn man. And, it, and he's saying it comes from me. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shout hear the word at my mouth and warn them from from me so god's saying warn the sinner and he's saying you're warning them from me this warning comes from god not from you 
Verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. So if you are saved, if you're a Christian, and if you're not warning the lost of their sin, if you're not letting the lost know that they're going to die because they're sinners and die and go to hell because they reject Jesus, then God is going to require their blood at your hand. When you meet Jesus in heaven, you'll be saved. But Jesus is going to say, you know what? How did you live 85 years? And how did you live all these years a saved person, you're saved. How could you live all these years and never tell your, 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 your parents, never tell your brothers and sisters, never tell your classmates, never tell the people that you work with, never tell anybody about me? You have blood on your hands because you did not testify of me. You did not warn people that if they reject me, they'll go to hell. You did not tell people that I died for their sins. You did not tell people the way to be saved is to believe on me. You did not preach the gospel. You did not share the gospel with anybody. Could you imagine? And this will happen to many people. Some people will share the gospel, but they will do it secretly maybe they'll put leave a gospel track at it on a table leave it in the bathroom that is good there's nothing wrong with that but as a christian you need to to proclaim it you do not if you're a christian and it's a secret that's a problem if you're a christian you need to let the whole world know that you're a christian you need to be the light of the world you need to let people know that if they if they have a question about how to be saved, people that know you should should be able to tell people, hey, uh, you know, oh, you want to know how to be saved? Well, you know, John over there, he knows. Yeah, I've known him for years. You know, he's talked to me about Jesus all the time. You know, I, I don't believe this stuff, but but uh, if you're interested, right? Well, go talk to John. He'll tell you. So if you live your life as a secret Christian, let's look at the verse again. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. That's God judging you, not me. If we live our lives without telling everyone we know about Jesus, God will judge us for not warning the wicked. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which covereth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know 
that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. This verse hits to the heart of the matter. We must tell sinners the error of their way. Tell them. Tell them that their behavior is destructive. It is a bad thing to do. Please think about what you are doing and stop doing it. See, and that, and that, that's, and that verse, that passage is talking about the lost, but it's also talking about a saved person that is straight off the path. A saved person that isn't living for Jesus. And, and, you, and you, tell, you tell, as a Christian, you, can, you should tell other Christians, you should be able to tell them, hey, you know, brother, brother, um, brother Robert, your, your constant swearing is a distraction. With, the, with how you swear all the time, how is anybody going to see that you're saved and a Christian? How is anybody going to ever see Jesus in you? You should have those conversations and tell somebody who's, who's a Christian, please think about what you are doing and stop doing it. For the lost, yes, you highlight their sin, but you do it in the context of letting them know that Jesus died for their sins. Just telling a, a lost person about their sins without showing them the Savior without showing them Jesus, well, I don't think that's doing the job because you, 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 need, to get, you need to tell them why their sins are bad. You need to tell them that Jesus died for their sins and that their sins are destructive to their lives, to other people's lives, and that they don't have to. They can have another life. They can come to Jesus and be saved. Just telling somebody that their sins are wrong. Well, th these people know that already. But telling them their sins wrong and pointing them to Jesus and showing them how to be saved. Well, that's that's how to do it. You can't just share part of the gospel. You can't just share partial. You can't, I know a lot of people. They love to, to condemn sin. They love that part. They love to say, don't do this, don't do that. You know, all drunkards go to hell, you know. They love that. They love to, they love to teach that. But if that's all you teach, are you saving anybody? You need to, to show them the gospel. You need to show them Jesus. You need to, yes, they need to be convicted of their sins because if they don't, if they're never convicted about their sins, if they never feel guilty because they're a sinner, if they never realize they're a sinner, they'll never come to Jesus. But you need to give them Jesus too. You can't just give them the, you can't just give them the bat. You can't just give them the belt. You can't just give them the paddle. You need to give them that, hey, you're a sinner and Jesus died to save sinners. You got to give them the whole truth. If you tell someone they should they should change their behavior, show them James chapter 5, 19 through 20. And many people will say, stop judging me, stop judging me, stop judging me. Well, just show them in the Bible where it says, where God says that you are to judge. Even though people will tell us 
that we should not judge. The Bible makes it clear that we should judge. So don't don't keep your mouth quiet because you're afraid of people judging you because when they're telling you not to judge, they're judging you. They're judging your speech. They're judging your conversation. Don't be a coward. Don't don't listen to to man's wisdom. Listen to God's wisdom. Do what God tells you to do. Don't do what man tells you to do. The Bible makes it clear that we are to judge. The following, I'm going to show you examples in the Bible where the apostles judge. Paul named Paul named and spoke against certain men. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 16 through 18. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. So here is Paul calling people out by name, calling them out for their sin, and he's doing this publicly. Who concerning the truth have erred. So he's saying, Hymenaeus Infilatus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So there are many, many people, many, many people say, well, well, you can't, you cannot correct a person on the Bible. If a person is saved and you know that person is saved, they're saying you cannot have a disagreement with them about the Bible. They're saying just just ignore it. Ignore their error. But no, that is not what the Bible says. If you know somebody who is saved, who is teaching the Bible incorrectly, you need to get with that person. You need to tell them, hey, you are wrong. The Bible clearly says the resurrection is not past. The resurrection is still to come. You need to get them straight on the Bible. You need to show them in the Bible where they are wrong. That is what Paul did. 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 and 15. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. <laughs> so Paul is calling Alexander out, who did him much evil. He's warning people, say, hey, beware of Alexander. He did me evil. He will do you evil as well. And I spoke with him, because he, he says, for he has greatly withstood our words. So Paul's saying, you know, I already spoke to Alexander. I already told him that his behavior was evil, his behavior was wrong. I told him he needed to change his behavior and stop being evil. So Paul is calling Alexander out. He's calling him out to everyone. For he greatly withstood our words. And to the context of this passage, I believe Alexander is somebody who is a believer. And a lot of people think, oh, believers can't be evil. Oh, the Bible clearly, clearly states that uh, a, sa a saved person can be evil, can be evil. His deeds are evil, and he is evil. And so, because there wouldn't be much 
place for Paul to be telling people of his congregation, people in uh, Christian congregations, that Alexander's an evil person if he's just another lost person. Because there's hundreds of Alexanders in, in these cities where Paul is at. He doesn't need to call them out because he's calling Alexander out and making him known to the church because, I believe he's doing it, because he is a saved person who actually is saved, but he, is, he, he has much evil in him. Yeah, and of course, Paul is saying, Lord, reward him according to his works. And people don't understand also that a saved person, we will be re rewarded according to our works. If our works are evil, if, we are, if our works are evil, when we get to heaven, we'll have nothing to show Jesus. It'll all burn up. So God's, if God judges our works as evil, when we get to heaven, we'll be before Jesus naked because we're clothed in heaven in garments that are the righteousness of the saints. So our garments are, are going to be determined by our good works on this earth. So I believe Paul is calling out Alexander because as a saved individual, he has fallen into evil. And Paul had talked to him, and Alexander rejected Paul's words. So he's telling the congregation, hey, you know, just avoid Alexander. He's, he's just fallen into evil, and he, he's been evil to me, and he's going to be evil to you as well. That conversation would not be necessary with just a, a lost sinner at all, because it would be a different conversation. The conversation to Alexander then would be, Alexander, you need to ask Jesus to save you. Jesus died for you. Alexander's sin would, would be used to show him that, that he's evil because a person needs to be convicted of their sin to be saved. So Alexander here is a saved person. And Paul's calling him out. And he's calling him out harshly. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on. So, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so, so in in Second Timothy two sixteen through eighteen and Second Timothy four fourteen through fifteen, Paul is talking about the same Alexander, and this person is saved. And so, what did God? What did Paul? What did Paul say? This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies 
which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have also delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So as a Christian, we're in a war. We're, we are to be mighty and war a good warfare. And we are to call out other Christians who are blaspheming God, who are sinning against God, who are teaching false doctrines. We're to call them out. We're not to ignore it. When a person blasphemes, they are speaking evil of God. Christians, Christians say you cannot correct and you cannot call out other Christians. Stop judging one another, Christians. Why can't Christians just get along? That is not the Bible teaching whatsoever. Well, the Apostle Paul was not... The Apostle Paul was not shy about calling out other saved people. He also corrected them for teaching false doctrine. We must expose all false teachers. We cannot allow people who claim to be Christians to teach false doctrine. Paul said that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Being a Christian is to be a soldier. We are in a war. We must war a good warfare. This means you must not sit idly by and ignore what is happening in this world. You must stand for the truth of God's words. When something is wrong, you must say that it is wrong. When someone is wrong, you must say, excuse me, you are wrong. John named a man who was in error. Let's look at. 3 John chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence, who loveth to have the preeminence among them. So I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, priding against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbidden, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth and casteth them out of the church. Beloved fellow, not that which is evil. Beloved fellow, not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. This is a very powerful passage. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, priding against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. This Diotrephes, he is a false teacher. 
He is someone who is malicious. He is evil to God's people. And John is calling him out. John is not just ignoring it. John is calling it out. I hear the brethren call out pastors who make known other pastors who are out of line. Yeah. So what actually happens all the time is there will be a, uh, a, a pastor who has a church that might, that might be saved. The church might teach Bible salvation. But the pastor has a lot of doctrines that are incorrect, that are wrong. And, 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 and saved people, people, the brethren will say, don't call out that pastor. You can't talk about his, his ministry because the Bible says don't, don't condemn another man's ministry. But that is not true. If a man's ministry is teaching false doctrine, you need to call it out. You need to call out the false doctrine. You need to warn people. Many, many brethren won't be mad at the pastor who teaches false doctrine. They'll be mad at the pastor who is calling out the pastor who is teaching false doctrine. It's all upside down. Instead of being upset at the pastor who is causing all the trouble, they condemn the pastor who exposes the false doctrine. In today's church, the brethren love to shoot the messenger. Paul publicly corrected Peter. A fellow apostle. He did that in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, liveth after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? This is our example. So Paul, he's calling out Peter, but he's also calling out Barnabas. And there's, an, there's uh, another passage where Paul and Barnabas are having a, a very heated dispute face to face. And the Bible doesn't condemn either one of them. So the Bible is saying that Christians, you need to stand on God's word you need to have your behavior your behavior should be according to God's word if someone whether they're a pastor whether they're it doesn't matter who they are if they're saved and and if they're teaching false doctrine you need to call them out on it you need to call them out on it that's what the bible teaches the Apostle Paul uses very strong words. Peter was to be blamed. And he got right in the face of Peter. 
I get so tired of the brethren saying that it is not Christian to have disputes. If we don't stand up for our faith when other Christians are wrong, then we are not obeying the Bible. It is important to correct another Christian who is teaching false doctrine. Sometimes that means getting into each other's faces. Like here, when Paul gets right in Peter's face and tells him he is wrong. Leaders caught in false teaching or immorality are to be rebuked publicly. As it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19-20. through 20, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that are them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. It's not saying not to judge somebody for their sin. It's saying the opposite. It says rebuke them before others that others may fear the bible's clear about judging these examples make it clear that we must judge and publicly expose error and if necessary discipline those who are in sin the salvation of souls and and the purity of the church depends on this there is a lot of peer pressure telling us not to judge and not to speak against false teachings even when it is known that souls are being misled People will say, we must not judge, or let's keep the peace and unity. However, if we don't show people their error, then they may end up in hell. Worldwide, the ecumenical movement is seducing millions of Christians into an ungodly unity of false hope, which knows nothing about salvation. We must not allow ourselves to be drawn into this lie, as there is only one hope of salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus. There is only one hope of salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. All other promises of salvation are untrue. We should not have unity with error. The Bible clearly teaches us we are to judge each other. We must judge ourselves first before we can begin to judge someone else. James chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-6 through 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust, and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more... Things that pertain to this life. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge, who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so, that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother, goeth to the law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. This is, could it be any more clear? We are to judge. And the Bible tells us that we 
shall judge the world. We shall judge angels, and we need to judge each other, according to the Bible. This passage makes it crystal clear that we are to judge other people, not just ourselves. We will judge the world, and we will judge angels. Wow. God bless you, and thank you, thank you, thank you for your time.